Hi there, welcome to Active Intelligence. I'm Aaron Ironside, and I hope you'll spend the next half an hour with me as we take a look at some very important social issues from a variety of perspectives. The kinds of perspectives that, if you shared them online, you could lose your job, if not your career. Well, that's what happened to Israel Folau, who will be the focus of today's Active Intelligence. On today's show, we talk with a man who has done way more than just tweet about his views on LGBTQ issues. He's written books about them. He's an American author and radio host by the name of Dr. Michael Brown, and he's my guest today. But first of all, we take a look at a story that has been definitely in the public eye in this part of the world for the last couple of years. I'm talking about rugby player Israel Folau and the trouble he got into when he tweeted the controversial answer to the question, what do you think happens to gay people when they die? And he simply quoted a Bible verse. Well, that quote would cost him his job and his career. Let's take a look. With today's acknowledgement and apology by Rugby Australia, we have been vindicated and can now move on with our lives. And yet this was the very outcome that neither side said they'd accept. There's these messages from those within our community and the wider sports community that leaves us in no doubt that we are doing what's right. We started this journey on behalf of all people of faith to protect their rights of freedom of speech and religion. It was all over this Instagram post where Falau said homosexuals, amongst others, would go to hell. When Rugby Australia ripped up Falau's $5.7 million contract, claiming he'd breached its code of conduct, it set in train a long and bitter legal process. Now both parties have backed down and apologised. In a joint statement, Rugby Australia said it acknowledges and apologises for any hurt or harm caused to the Falau's. While Mr Falau did not intend to hurt or harm the game of rugby and acknowledges and apologises for any hurt or harm caused. Well, it appears that the wilderness might be over. Not exactly a return to the first grade, of course. It'll have to be Gold Coast A grade with the Southport Tigers. But billionaire boss Clive Palmer at least seems to have his head screwed on. He understands what the issue really is. I, I don't know what his views are, to be honest with you. All I, all I know is that he's placed uh, on, the, on the Twitter or something a, a, a quote from the Bible. And I know that the Bible's used every day, quoted in churches right across Australia for millions of Australians. I know when we go to Parliament, many parliamentarians uh, refer to text of the Bible and they pray every day. I know that when you go to court and you swear swore in for evidence, you put your hand on the Bible. So to me, it's, it's nothing uh, extraordinary that someone makes a quote from the Bible. Um, and I think there's a thing about proportionality, I just say from the media, um, it's grown out of all proportions. It certainly shouldn't affect a person's livelihood, how he can support his children and what he can do. We want to have an example where people of all religions, all faiths can play sport. And we don't want to bring that sort of thing into sport, I don't think. Well, of course, it's absolutely ridiculous that you should lose your job simply for tweeting a Bible verse. That's incredible that that's the world in which we live. And there is a sense, of course, in which Israel won the battle, but 
lost the war. I mean, he did get a payout from Rugby Australia. That's right and proper. They treated him poorly, but he's lost the war because he has effectively lost his rugby career in this part of the world and rugby league as well for good measure. I mean, we were hoping he'd play for the St. George Illawarra Dragons this year, but uh, the NRL doesn't want anything to do with this because that is the power of the cultural dynamics at play here. It's kind of odd, really, in one sense, a group that had often seen itself as victimized and bullied, the LGBTQ community, now have much more power in the culture than the faith community, who once upon a time were the moral watchdogs. They've kind of swapped seats. Although in some strange kind of way, the rainbow community is still pretending that they are the ones being victimized when actually these days they do some of the victimizing. So what was the big problem? I mean, there were so many people mentioned on that list in that Bible verse, but only one got offended. Well, of course, it is a group that has felt so victimized in our culture for so long. And I think it is important to put a human face to that, to remember that real people are hurt by these words. Here's gay activist uh, Sally Rugg appearing on Australia's Q&A not long after this all broke out. How do they make me feel? They make me feel... Um, they make me feel a bit sick. They make me feel tired. Um, I, I feel confused as to why in 2019 we're having this sort of like esoteric discussion about whether it's whether it is really harmful for these words to just sort of be bandied about in our society. So that's Sally Rugg reminding us that real life human beings are in fact hurt by those words. And let's be honest, it was those kinds of words in the hands of real life bullies who hurt gay people. Uh, out in public just not so long ago within the course of my lifetime. Well, I'm glad we don't do that anymore, that we let people live. Uh, unfortunately, it doesn't cut both ways. Now, unfortunately, those people of faith, those who have a conservative point of view, they're the ones, in a sense, who must hide in the closet. In fact, that is one of the quotes from my guest today, that those who were once in the closet would now like to put conservative people in that same closet. My guest today is an author, a broadcaster, and also a man who loves to share his Christian faith, both in live and broadcast settings, and certainly is not remotely embarrassed to tweet things from the Bible. His website, in fact, is called uh, Ask Dr. Brown. So we're going to do that. We're going to talk to Dr. Michael Brown from the US, and I asked him whether or not news of the Israel Folau case had made it all the way to North America. Yeah, I, I did follow it carefully, and I've, I've checked to see what his status is now with, with a new league, of course. And <clears throat> it, it's the very reason that we began addressing these issues in 2004. It's, it's not hatred for gays or lesbians. <clears throat> it's, it's not some sense of, of self-righteousness, but rather a concern for an aggressive agenda that I began to say in 2004 that those who came out of the closet so in their view, they're fighting for equality, freedom for their relationships to be recognized like heterosexual relationships. Those who came out of the closet want to put us in the closet, those who, us, who hold to conservative Christian values. And it's not a battle that we started. In other words, we hold to what scripture says about sexuality and morality and family and have held to these values for thousands of years based on, on scripture. But it's the activists that came knocking at our door, pushing curricula in our schools, pushing messaging on, on media, and then basically saying you do not have the right to differ. And if you do, you'll be branded a bigot, a homophobe, a hater. You'll be likened to Nazis and ISIS, etc. And 
when I began to address these things and said those who came out of the closet want to put us in the closet, I was roundly and soundly mocked for it. What are you talking about? No one wants to put you in the closet. You're crazy, man. You're just paranoid. After a number of years, it shifted. And the, the dialogue became, bigots like you belong in the closet. I'll take it one step further. A Christian attorney friend of mine involved in the front lines of cultural issues in America said, Mike, take it one step further. Those who once got arrested will want us arrested. Well, I said that on national Christian TV once, and I got blasted, websites mocking, attacking me for saying it. And then when Kim Davis, part of a, a woman in a conservative part of America, where like 75% of the state voted against redefining marriage, she in conscience refused to write a same-sex marriage certificate, and she was put in jail. And there was this national shout from liberals and activists, those on the left, yes, yes, she's just like Islamic terrorists, she should be in jail. So it's no surprise to see what happened. It, it, it's sad, it's a sad statement on, on culture. And, and I don't know Israel Falau at all, but I imagine he cares about people and he genuinely wants to see people come to know Jesus and be saved and forgiven. And this is the consequence. I've been asking questions for years now. Will this social media platform, will this book distributor ban the Bible next? Will this state want to outlaw it? Because we're basically being told you can't preach what's written in there. You can't state it publicly. There's some really interesting background to this particular story because it turns out that Israel might have been targeted. It might, in fact, have been a trap that he fell into because he had previously tweeted that he wasn't going to be supporting Australia's move towards same-sex marriage. So when the question came, what do you think happens to homosexual people when they die? Probably wasn't someone seeking spiritual counsel, but rather someone trying to trap him. Now, Israel's very good at spotting offensive plays on the field, but he certainly missed this one. He fell into a trap. Do we need to be more mindful now that we live in a world where people are, in fact, trying to catch us out? Yeah, well, Jesus sent his disciples out and said they should be wise as serpents and harmless as doves. So uh, Paul also wrote we should be innocent when it comes to, to evil, but we should be mature in our thinking. So for me, this is the key. I, I recognize that there are many who identify as LGBT who've been deeply hurt by the church. They felt hated. They felt rejected. They've thought that they themselves were abominations, that God hated them. And there was no understanding of their struggles. There was the assumption, you must have just chosen these wicked desires because you're a perverted person. Rather than saying, wow, you've been struggling with this for years and years since you became conscious of sexual and romantic feelings, it must have been very difficult. Or you've been struggling with these gender identity issues. How can we help you? So often they've been pushed away. And because of that, maybe suffered rejection from family, friends. So because of that, there's a, a tremendous sensitivity. We might call it a hypersensitivity. Like if you have a sunburn and someone pats you on the shoulder, they didn't pat you hard, but, but it hurts because of the sensitivity. So for me, the key thing was this that when I got burdened about the issues in 2004, I immediately began to pray for God's heart for the people. And he really broke my heart for the individuals involved. So I separate the activism from the people. And, and the word that God laid on my heart was reach out to the people with compassion, 
resist the agenda with courage. So reach out and resist. Hearts of compassion, backbones of steel. That means whenever I say anything about a social issue or answer something biblically, I'm thinking about that fragile 15-year-old who's struggling with, with same-sex attraction, who's feeling suicidal and depressed because he sees no future for himself if he can't change and doesn't want to be celibate for the rest of his life. Whatever I say, I want to have that hurting person, that struggling person in mind. So therefore, we're going to speak the truth. We're going to speak the truth with love and with wisdom. And, and yes, sometimes people just innocently say, hey, look, this is like every other sin in the Bible. Why should I have to be so careful here or walk on eggshells? Well, the reason is because if someone commits adultery, they are making a willful choice to be unfaithful in their marriage. But if someone discovers at the age of 12 that they're attracted to the same sex, they, they didn't make a willful choice to have that attraction. And therefore, there needs to be greater compassion in reaching out. So I imagine that that again, not knowing Israel Falah, but having been through all of this, I don't know what kind of settlement he reached with the courts and now playing in the league where, where he started. Uh, he said he's a devout Christian. He didn't want to hurt anyone. Perhaps sitting and talking with people from different perspectives, they could say, hey, by all means, don't back down from your message. But here's a way to say it where, where you can make sure everyone knows you're walking in love. You're not singling this out. But here's what scriptures say. So I applaud his boldness. I applaud his stand for Jesus. I applaud the fact that he says, hey, I'm just going to tell it like it is scripturally. But when you realize that a group of people are particularly hurting or suffering rejection, misunderstanding, sometimes it requires just a little extra wisdom, love, compassion as we do it. I think what you're really referring to there is that there is, in fact, a time and place for having these conversations, particularly around more controversial topics. We need to have an actual relationship, perhaps, with the person. When they're in the room, we certainly respond differently to them. We listen to their questions. We sense how they're responding to what we're saying. Online, of course, we don't get any of those cues. In fact, many of us have started to treat social media as if we all have our own show and the world is our audience and we're simply transmitting and broadcasting, thinking that we might be influencing people, but I'm not so sure that we really are. I think social media in that sense has been hijacked. Initially, of course, it was meant to be a place where you caught up with old friends, where you shared good news about things happening in your life. But now we want to be sharing our political and our religious views, and often it's leading to being unfriended rather than influencing people. Do we need to be more mindful about social media? Is it time for a big rethink about how we use social media? Yes, absolutely. Uh, it has really brought out the worst in us. Uh, I, I wrote an article not long ago saying, and they will know we are Christians by our hate. Uh, reversing the words of, of that song, they'll know we are Christians by our love. In the words of Jesus, that the world will know that we're his disciples by the love we have one for another. I mean, we savage each other. We, we're just within the body, within the church. We're cruel. We're nasty. Especially in America, we get so politicized over things and treat people in ways we never would if we were with them face to face. And then there's no respect. There's no honor. Uh, for example, if you were a leader in a ministry or an organization, you'd be treated with certain respect face to face naturally. But online, you're just another voice there. And how many times that uh, I'll see something and just it, literally at a, at a stoplight, waiting a minute for the light to change, see something and think that needs a response, shoot something out quickly, whereas with more thought and consideration, it, it would sound different. But, but let me say this, because it's really important 
that we don't mislead anyone. Those that are coming to censor us, those that are coming to silence us, don't care if we're polite, if we're nice. So my thing about being polite and gracious is in order to win people, in order to help people. But having done that for years, having gone out of my way to communicate in gracious and honoring and respectful ways, I've still been censored. We've still had social media battles. We've, we've still, I, I've been blacklisted by some of the biggest organizations in America, Southern Poverty uh, Law Center and, and the HRC Human Rights Campaign and GLAD, the Gay and Lesbian Alliance Against Defamation. They, they've all censored me or put me on the various lists as a bigot and dangerous and all of this. And recently we've just seen Amazon, so the massive online bookseller and seller of other things, they removed a fine book by Ryan Anderson, PhD, solid intellectual, gracious writer called When Harry Became Sally. It carefully documents transgender issues. It's scientifically accurate. It's fairly written. Amazon pulled it, just pulled it. They pulled all the books by Dr. Joseph Nicolosi, passed away a few years ago, Catholic himself, but he was a, a, a PhD or whatever his doctorate was in, licensed therapist, and, and he was one for years helping men with unwanted same-sex attraction that came to him looking for help, and he'd sit and talk with them and help them work these things through. Amazon pulled all of his books. So, so this is the ongoing censorship that we're dealing with. Uh, others who've told their stories about coming out of homosexuality, just their own testimonies, they've been banned. Friends of mine have, have had Facebook pages removed because they simply talk about how their own lives have been changed and they've come out of homosexuality through the gospel. So yes, we're gonna use wisdom, speak with compassion, love and grace because we wanna represent Jesus rightly and we wanna reach people. At the same time, we recognize that there is a very dangerous cancel culture rising around the world. One of my friends in Australia has been documenting what's been happening in Victoria with the ban on so-called conversion therapy and where that could lead. So let us not make any mistake about it. There is a real effort to silence us, censor us, ban us, cancel us. I'm interested in your comments around this phrase, cancel culture. Only yesterday I was listening to an American left-wing commentator who was suggesting that the whole idea of cancel culture was an invention of the right who were clutching at straws, who were looking for things to complain about. And that in actual fact, the examples of people or things being cancelled were so rare that the idea that cancel culture was a real problem was a huge exaggeration. So this is curious. On the one hand, you've got the left saying cancel culture perhaps isn't even that real. And on the right, that it's the new scourge of the planet. I mean, what is the truth about cancel culture? Well, I, I would say that it's convenient, willful blindness, because I could quote to people like Bill Maher, one of the most God-mocking, anti-religious people in America, fam famously so, famously so. He just went on a rant about cancel culture and the dangers of cancel culture on his TV show. Uh, how about Barry Weiss? She is a lesbian feminist from San Francisco, one of the most uh, liberal cities in all of America. She worked with the New York Times and resigned because of the horrific atmosphere that was there. At the time, she said it's, it's basically going to murder your career, that, that cancel culture is, is murderous. I'm actually writing a book about this now, and I have quote after quote after quote from people on the left. 
I mean, most recently, Dr. Seuss, the, the you know, beloved children's author, six of his books have been canceled for alleged racist imagery. You know, in his cartoon characters, everything is caricatured. Now, now Dr. Seuss is being canceled. I just saw a, a liberal comedian, late night host, someone that, that made a living off of bashing Donald Trump. And he's saying this whole rise in cancel culture is the best thing that Trump could ask for because it's so extreme, people are going to want him back. So voice after voice on the left is raising its voice. And, and, and here's what it's saying, that cancel culture is unforgiving, that there is no redemption in cancel culture, that something could happen in your life maybe 15 years earlier. Maybe you're 33 now. And when you were 18, you said something idiotic and stupid and regretful and didn't even realize that it was posted somewhere. Now it comes up to haunt you. You lose your career. Sarah Silverman liberal Jewish comedian. I've seen some of her skits mocking Jesus. I mean, real bad stuff. Well, she did something about a decade ago where she appeared in what's called blackface, right? So she, she you know, put a black on her face to look like a black person. It was just some skits she was doing. And then realized years later, you know, that could be offensive. That could be hurtful to people. I regret doing it. She was about to get a role in a major movie and then last minute canceled. Why? Well, you did that 10 years ago. So liberal culture is waking up to it more and more. And those who deny it do it willingly, willfully. It could be the bubble they live in. It could be the world they live in. They think it doesn't exist. But, but here's the thing. Winston Churchill, this quote is attributed to him in different forms. Basically this, that appeasement is like feeding a crocodile and hoping it will eat you last. And what's happening is the cancel culture more and more and more is devouring itself. I'll give you another example. Uh, Jermaine Greer, one of the most famous feminist icons in the world, and certainly one who would deplore my views as some patriarchal bigot, right? She's going to speak at the University of Cardiff a few years ago in Wales, and there's a movement to stop her. Why? Because she says a trans woman is not a woman. That if you are not a biological female, you're not really a female. And now there are more and more lesbian activists, even a whole book written called Female Erasure by, by lesbians, by feminists, by others. Again, people that would absolutely differ with my values, saying the whole transgender activist movement is destroying feminism and destroying the uniqueness of being female. And now they are getting canceled. There's even a term that's used uh, to, to describe them. So the, the, the deal is this thing devours itself. And at some point, people will wake up to it. And here's the good news. We have a message that offers redemption and forgiveness that says everybody blows it, everybody does wrong. Come to the cross, receive forgiveness, where you need to make restoration, restitution, where there's repentance. You do it, and you move forward and lead a new life. So this cancel culture will destroy itself, and we have to stand up with a glorious, better message. I can't help but think that one of the things that is common to all those stories is that they were people who had a lot to cancel. Ordinary people don't seem to be the victims of cancel culture because we don't have a lot to cancel. So what advice would you give, maybe to a young athlete who's just embarking upon a high-profile career, maybe as a person of faith and is wondering, should I keep my faith to myself? Should I keep it on the down low? After all, there are so many now who might want to take everything away from me by 
you know, drawing me into making comments that don't really do anything except put my career at risk. What advice would you give to that young athlete? Yeah, well, first, remember, first and foremost, that you save your life by losing it and you lose it by finding it. Meaning, if you are dead set on career first, prosperity first, fame first, and therefore you're going to put your views in the closet, you've lost your life. You are now a slave to the opinions of others, and the integrity that makes you who you are has been compromised. If, on the other hand, you say, hey, if I lose my career, if, if I lose my pension, if I lose my fa- if I lose whatever, so be it. I'm going to glorify the Lord. Now you're free. From there, what you want to do is always lift up Jesus, and you always want to be as gracious and kind a human being as you can. You want to make clear, hey, I don't hate anybody. I'm not bashing anyone. I want to lift up Jesus. And if something comes up and you feel it's right to address, you don't have to just, just every time there's a controversial opinion, say something. That may not be your calling. You wait for the right opportunity. You, you look for the right situation. But when you feel, hey, I have been told I have to wear these socks now, these gay-themed socks in, in solidarity with gay pride, sorry, I can't do that. Hey, listen, I'm not making you, you know, wear a Bible verse and imposing that on you, so you're free to do what you do. I, I love everybody, but I can't do that. Th- then let, let people call you what they do, but the more you are gracious, then you will overcome evil with good. And, and, and look, Jesus saves the world by dying for the world. Sometimes the greatest thing we can do is take a hit. Sometimes the greatest thing that we can do is take loss. Here's the amazing thing. When we honor the Lord through it, something better will come out of it. And in the light of eternity, Israel Falau is not going to be known as a rugby star or Australian football rule star. He's going to be known as a man of God. He's going to be known as a follower of Jesus. And obviously, he's a gifted athlete, could have set even more records. I understand the consequences are massive and what monies he could have made. I understand all of that. But, but in the light of eternity, what matters most is he's known as a strong Christian. So make sure in your heart you're unashamed of the gospel. Pray again for that spirit of love to radiate through you and then stand when it's right to stand. And I believe that people are getting fed up with the politically correct narrative of today. I believe they're getting fed up with this rise of cancel culture and its ruthlessness. Now, you know, you can't read Shakespeare in school because he was a white supremacist. And, you can, and it, it just keeps going further and further and becoming more and more absurd. And people are saying, enough. And if you'll stand up, do what's right, honor the Lord, he'll smile on you. And that's the key thing you need to know. If I have the smile of God, I have everything. Well, it seems that cancel culture might in fact be a real thing, but perhaps only a real risk for those who have something to lose. But the rest of us probably need to take a cue from that, that we live in a world that's more interested in catching us out than listening to what we have to say if we happen to have a more conservative point of view or some kind of faith, although in particular it seems that the Christian faith is often the one singled out for special treatment and others get a bit of a pass. I'm not sure what we're to do about this except learn perhaps that we can no longer just fire at will when it comes to social media posts. We need to stop and think, is this the hill to die on? Because this tweet, this post, this meme It might cost me a lot more than just somebody unfriending me. And am I willing to pay that cost 
If you are, more power to you. If you want to put it all on the line, you're more than welcome. But I think sometimes we're putting it on the line unnecessarily. And I think we need to pay more attention to how our posts and our tweets are being received. Is it true that we're actually influencing anybody? Or are we just annoying and and making uh, our friends not our friends anymore? They don't want to engage with us. Unfortunately, I think this is happening and it's creating, of course, an echo chamber where the only points of view we ever see are the ones we agree with. However, we can't have it be that simply posting a point of view, a thought, let alone a thought from one of the most read books of all time, could be the reason that you lose your job and your career. Unfortunately, in the real world, there is no court of appeal. Uh, At least if you get a conviction in a regular court, you can take it up the chain. I'm not sure who we're supposed to go to. I'm not sure Mark Zuckerberg cares to know that I'd like to lodge an appeal. So we're going to have to do a lot more work at the beginning to try and avoid unnecessary trouble. But you know what? Maybe some of the trouble is unavoidable. In which case, it's time for us to learn to live with that, to face that, to be ready to receive the heat that comes from having unpopular points of view because the alternative is unbearable. That's a world in which only one story dominates, where only one set of ideas is allowed to be entertained. And friends, in that world, things go crazy pretty fast. In a vital and vibrant democracy, we need a free exchange of ideas, even if we hate the idea that we're hearing that isn't a good enough reason to cancel someone. Well, I hope you've found this an interesting broadcast. If you'd like to get in touch, activeintelligence.nz is the website and you can find this episode and others. We'll catch you next time on Active Intelligence. Intelligence.